Patrick Sims was eating at a, a burger restaurant in uh, New York City. And over the course of the, the amount of time that it took him to, to eat his hamburger, by the time he came back outside, his bike was gone. Stolen. There's a guy named Jason Schubert. He had a bike parked on his front porch. In the time that it took me to sleep and get up the next morning, having forgotten to lock my bike, I walk out to go to work the next morning, and my bike is gone. Unlike uh, Patrick Sims, I had some help in recovering mine as uh, the police were of great assistance. We found it, and my bike was returned to me. Patrick Sims didn't have that same uh, uh, help. Uh, In fact, he would go on a crusade to mark bikes with GPS devices and put them around New York City locked up trying to find out who was stealing bikes in New York and try to get his bike back and to get justice for those who who were losing their bikes. Over 100,000 bikes are stolen uh, a year in New York City. Um, According to one report... uh, one of the, the great currencies that exist kind of in underground uh, crime things that are functioning around the world, sex, drugs, money, and bikes is what uh, fuels a lot of things because they're always easy to steal and they're easy to sell. What Patrick Sims found out is that although they were able to tra- trap and, and catch some of these people, uh, they were charged, uh, but once they went to the judge the judge would just uh, uh, let them go. They were not, uh, not prosecuted. Um, sometimes he would find police who would, who would help him out. Other times not. So what he and others started to do is they said, well, um, uh, if we buy more expensive bikes, it'll put it over the limit to where stealing the bike will be a felony. And then the judge will have to do something about it if they're not concerned with a misdemeanor because we want justice. What would happen? Those bikes would get stolen too. You know what? No charges. No punishments. They were let out and let go. In fact, they found one guy who had stolen like 2,800 bikes and kept them all in a warehouse just to do it. No consequences for him. You see, what begins to happen when... uh, Injustice is taking place, and judges fail to act, and justice fails to come about, can result in, in, in a couple of things. One, the people who are experiencing injustice begin to lose their confidence and their hope and their trust of those who are in authority. They wonder, do they care? Are they going to do something about it? Or am I just going to be constantly taken advantage of? Um, uh, uh, Another result would be that those who are carrying out the injustice, the bike stealers, are emboldened to continue doing what they are doing because they know there is no chance. I have no fear of ever getting caught or getting punished with this. So it doesn't matter what I do, because then I'm going to continue to go on unopposed. Remember, we are studying in the book of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet, a man chosen by God, appointed by God, to communicate his words to his people. When Daniel is writing and compiling this uh, book of Daniel, um, he's writing to a particular audience an audience uh, of the people of Judah who had been um, in exile in the na- under the nation of Babylon. Some of them had returned. Some of them were remaining in, uh, in the Babylonian area um, after the Persians took over. And they were sent, some of them were sent back. But having come back, they're looking around. And they're seeing that the nations around them uh, still rule. God's people are still, in various ways, suffering. Um, They're experiencing opposition. Uh, The temple that they once worshipped at is in ruins. The city that they once called the city of God has been destroyed. And they're looking around and they're wondering about justice. 
about the God that they serve, who claims them as his people and who they claim as their God? Is he the supreme judge? Is he a just judge? Can they take hope and confidence in him that he will deal with and address injustice? Or will he do nothing? And do they look around with hopelessness? And will the wicked in the world continue to be emboldened to do acts of injustice and oppression knowing that God will never do a thing about it? Daniel, in writing uh, this to God's people, we're going to be looking at chapter 5 of the book of Daniel this morning. As Daniel seeks to address this to help us understand that God is our supreme judge. This morning, uh, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, um, chapter 5 of the book of Daniel is found on page 742. Um, And if you would, follow along with me as I read to us from the Word of God this morning. And just to to catch you up here, remember last chapter was looking at Nebuchadnezzar. This guy, uh, Belshazzar, uh, is a subsequent king in the Babylonian Empire. He's a relative of of Nebuchadnezzar. So when it uses the term father, don't think that he's referring to this is Nebuchadnezzar's son. It's just uh, he's a descendant and a, a, a previous king. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, uh, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, And the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the day of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him, and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard that you have the spirit of the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, the wise men, the enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and shall have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. 
and your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples and nations and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house you have brought in before you, and you and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which, uh, which do not see, nor hear, or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and who are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that uh, uh, Your Spirit is at work applying the living and active Word of God to the hearts and minds of Your people. We pray that You would do that this morning. Uh, give us insight into the Scriptures. Change us through the reading and preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What we see Daniel emphasizing in this passage, in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, is that God is the supreme judge. And so, what I want to do is to, to look at two Two questions that uh, I think will uh, help us understand this chapter better. One is, uh, who will God judge? And the other question is this, how will God judge? So who will God judge and how will God judge? So first, just looking to see that in this passage, Daniel is emphasizing that God is the supreme judge. Notice Notice what he says when he's talking to Belshazzar in the midst of this drunken uh, uh, party that he has had and as he's seen this, uh, this writing that has been on the wall. Uh, notice what he says in verse uh, 23. Um, he, he talks about what Belshazzar has done. Uh, you've not humbled your heart, though you knew this. You've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you, your lords, your wives, your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, the gods of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Daniel is saying the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of Christians is the God in whose hand is the life of everyone. All of our ways are His, Daniel says to Belshazzar and to us. 
That means God is the supreme judge. He has the ability, the power, the authority to take our lives as He judges us and looks at us. Who is this God? The one who He says uniquely is the one who sees, the one who hears, the one who knows. There is no God like Him. He is the supreme judge. Who is it that this God judges? Notice uh, two ways for us to look at that this morning. One is that God will judge His enemies. The supreme judge and ruler of all things will judge His enemies. Notice what it says of Belshazzar here. In verse 23, You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Belshazzar is identifying and showing himself to be an enemy of God, opposed to God, setting himself up over against God. He's exalting himself against God. He's taken the stuff out of God's house and used it for his own wicked Uh, ends, things that were set aside uniquely, holy, to be set apart for the worship of the one true God, to facilitate the worship and uh, the, the restoration of sinners before God. This enemy of God has set himself up over against the supreme king and judge over all things. And God says, you will be judged. Notice how this comes out. These these words that were written on the wall. Now, this something for us to understand. In English, we have vowels written out. In Arabic, I mean, in um, Aramaic and in uh, Hebrew, uh, originally it would have been written just with consonants. They would have known based on the, the context or how it was read of how to supply the vowels. You could try this later. Sometimes you see little tricks like this in newspapers. Write out a sentence and remove the vowels. You can still understand. You know just from your familiarity with the language. It would have been the same for them, except uh, sometimes, depending on how it's pointed, a word could mean one thing or it could mean for a, a, another. And so these consonants were written on the wall. Uh, Belshazzar didn't know exactly what they meant. They could have uh, come across as being um, uh, various different things. Um, depending on what vowels were put in, but Daniel gives this interpretation. Mene, mene, tekel, uh, parsin. Daniel uses the, these consonants to, to inform the king uh, related to the words that are written up there. Uh, first, mene, related to um, the, the, the word numbered. Notice what he says in verse uh, 25. Uh, God has numbered the days of your kingdom. As being the supreme judge, God is the one who numbers the days of His enemies. He knows when judgment is coming. He knows when punishment will come. He is the sole determiner of that. Weighed, or uh, tekel. You have been weighed, he says in verse 27, in the balances and found wanting. God is the supreme judge. He is the one who has the authority to look at someone's life, to look at their heart, and He is the one who decides whether you have been judged right or if you have, uh, uh, would be determined to be outside of conformity to His standard. He is the one who sets the standard as a supreme judge against His enemies and all people. You don't decide. I don't decide whether I think I'm a good person or not. It is God who sets the standard. It is God who weighs. It is God who evaluates. It is God who judges. He is the supreme judge. And notice then in verse, as it goes on with uh, Parsin uh, uh, or Perez, uh, divided. Um, God is the one who will determine what the consequence of the judgment will be. He will determine the punishment that comes upon those whom He is judging. 
And notice what results here. Belshazzar, this enemy of God, as here God in a special and unique way breaks in to a point of time in history and judges this enemy of his and condemns him right there in that moment to death. And in verse 20, 30, it tells us that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. God judges his enemies. He judged Belshazzar and he experienced the penalty of his rebellion as God judged him wanting, condemned him to death, and he died. Uh, just last year, uh, a man um, was uh, deported from the United States. Finally, after years of trying to do this, he was the last known Nazi living in the United States. Um, he was uh, worked with uh, some of the uh, internment and labor camps and was part of a, a large team uh, that uh, systematically uh, killed and murdered um, thousands and millions of, of Jews. Uh, and um, the, the hard part that was coming about and, and deporting him and, and was they could not find a country to take this guy. Nobody wanted him. Finally, Germany uh, accepted him. He went back to Germany. The interesting thing is, is that for some reason... They didn't charge him. And he died. A lot of people objected to this. They were, they were angry and upset about this guy when he lived here in the U.S. They would pick it outside of his house with signs chanting, your neighbor is a Nazi. Your neighbor is a pra was a practicer of genocide. He perpetrated and participated in the Holocaust. Um, uh, and finally, pressure mounted and he, he left. Um, uh, right now, in Germany, there's a, a growing um, uh, push and group, a group that has been formed and established to seek out all of the remaining surviving Nazis that are, that are alive. They think there's probably around a thousand. They were getting to the youngest ones who are participating. Most of them would be around 90 at this point. And they are seeking to go about and to find and bring about justice to bring these guys who who committed these horrible crimes and murders and to bring them to justice in a court of law that a judge would look upon them, pronounce them guilty, and sentence them to a punishment uh, for the crimes that they have committed. But a lot of people are concerned that many people may end up just like this guy who was deported from the U.S. Will charges be brought against them? Will justice happen? For some of them, it is beginning to happen. But this is the interesting thing. For, for some, they're, they're upset because if someone dies prior to a judge condemning them, prior to a judge giving them a sentence, then the assumption is justice hasn't been met. It hasn't been served. They have escaped justice. And that is true for an earthly judge. Because if you just are a human in flesh and blood, what can you do? What authority do you have in order to bring justice and to pronounce a punishment on someone who is dead and gone and not in this world? But that is not so for the supreme judge of all things. And God's people would need to know this at the time of Daniel. Because remember, we've already seen visions that there's going to be kingdom after kingdom, after kingdom that comes before God's kingdom is established. There are going to be the nations and kingdoms of men that set themselves up in opposition to God. And for a long time, it will look like as they are succeeding, that they are winning, that they have the power as they assault and assail and defeat and murder and kill God's people and set themselves up in opposition to Him. And Daniel is saying, you must remember that God is the supreme judge of all things. He holds all men's lives in His hands. 
And death, physical death, will not keep him from bringing about justice. And even in this life now, if you die before you see justice brought about through the, the, uh, the wickedness that has been perpetrated in this world, do not lose hope in knowing that God will judge His enemies. That God will bring justice because there are worse things than physical death. What we see Belshazzar experiencing here is a, is a picture of what awaits those who uh, oppose God which will be eternal separation, physical life or eternal eternity-long suffering for their wickedness and their opposition to God and their attacks against His people. Daniel is saying, do not lose heart. God, the supreme judge, will judge all of His enemies. But not just this. God will also judge his people. Do you see that? Back in verse 2. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. He goes down in verse 3. They brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. Over in verse 13. Notice how Belshazzar refers to Daniel in a, a ridiculing way. You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. Remember, why are the people of God in Babylon to begin with? It's because of their sin. It's because of their unfaithfulness to the God whose name they bear. And God is judging their sin and saying, I'm not going to put up with this. This is wrong. And through my act of judgment, my act of discipline, I'm exposing and communicating to you that although you may bear my name outwardly, and you may go through the motions of identifying yourself as being a part of the people of God, I will too judge you. And you may be found to, although you bear the name of being my people, you may be found to be one of my enemies. And I too will bring judgment on the day of the Lord. Notice how this comes up later in the, the New Testament. This is something, remember, a lot of times we talk about, and people, you, we don't talk about, I don't talk about this. Uh, some people say that the God of the Old Testament is this God of wrath. The God of the New Testament is a God of grace. We can't just take those things away. God is just and He is gracious in the Old and in the New. And these truths continue. In Romans chapter 14, listen to what God says to His people uh, in verse 10. Paul is writing this book to a church, to a group who bear the name of Jesus. And he says this, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Both God's enemies and God's people will stand before the supreme judge. In 1 Peter, Peter, again, speaking to a group of people who are experiencing suffering and persecution, who are struggling and wrestling, in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 17, Peter says this, For it is the time of judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Judgment will begin at the house of God. 
God will judge both His people and His enemies. Jesus even talks about this. As He talks about uh, there will be a day where people who even would, will come before Him on the last day, the day of judgment, when Jesus Himself, the judge, and people call out to Him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in Your name? Didn't we serve You and live in a way that it looked like we were following You? And He will say to them, I don't know You. Get away from Me. This message that God is the supreme judge, the one true judge of all things. Do you think about it much? Do you think about God as being the judge? For some people, to think about God as judge brings comfort. This truth brings comfort to those whose family members were slaughtered Uh, in churches around the world this past week, to know that even if those who uh, killed their family members die before justice happens in this life, the judge of all things will not let it go unpunished, will not let it go undealt with. There are those of you in here who have suffered greatly, horrendous things at the hands of people around uh, Uh, in your family, in your community, and they've never been brought to justice. The acts that they have done have never been brought to light. Some of them probably maybe have already even died. And you may wonder and want to know what is going to happen. And the book of Daniel would say, take comfort and know that God will bring justice and He will punish those who have assaulted Him and His people. But for others, it brings fear. Fear to hear that there is a God who judges. It's not based on the standard and what you think of yourself, but what God thinks of you. To know that you will one day stand before the supreme judge of all things and have to answer before Him can bring great fear to wonder. Will I measure up? What will His judgment of me be? This means that the way I'm living my life, I need to make sure I am right with God. For others, this truth that God judges all things may bring about a response of anger. The Bible teaches this. What kind of God do you worship? How could, how could a good God send and judge good people? I know a lot of good people who didn't follow and trust Him. You're telling me that this God is going to judge them and send them to hell? These are important questions. And Daniel is saying that the truth that God judges all things should have an effect and an impact of how we live out our lives today. God, the supreme judge of all. But we need to know and understand. We need to know if this is true, that God judges His enemies and His people. We need to know, how does He judge? How does He determine who He says, you're going to punishment, you are going to Blessing in my presence. What's the standard by which? How does God judge those that He's judging? Um, uh, Michael uh, Bloomberg was a a former mayor of New York City. Uh, He is also uh, known as the eighth richest man in the U.S. and the ninth richest man in the world. He's worth over $50 billion. Michael Bloomberg has signed on uh, this giving pledge with a lot of other uh, uber-rich people who have said that before they die, they want to give away more than half of their uh, um, 
uh, money to different organizations. Uh, as Bloomberg is reflecting on the things that he's done, uh, this is an interview with the New York Times. Uh, listen to what he says and what the, the, the reporter reports. Mr. Bloomberg was introspective as he spoke and seemed both restless and wistful. When he sat down for the interview, it was a few days before his 50th college reunion. His mortality had started dawning on him at 72. And he admitted he was a bit taken aback by how many of his former classmates had been appearing in the in memori- in memori- memoriam, my Latin is awful, uh, pages of his school newsletter. But if he senses that he may not have as much time left as he is like, he has little doubt about what would await him at Judgment Day. Pointing to his work, and uh, we could put into here also his philanthropy, he said with a grin, I'm telling you, if there is a God, then I, uh, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Mr. Bloomberg is incredibly confident. He has no doubt what will await him. Is he wagering his $50 billion on that? How does he know? What is the standard by which God will judge us? Is it based on what Mr. Bloomberg thinks? Or what you think? Or what I think? Or what God thinks? How will God judge? Uh, one of the things about, about the structure of Daniel is that um, the, for the, the first seven chapters, they, they kind of pair up together. Uh, verse uh, chapter uh, 1 and chapter 7, chapter 2 and chapter 6, or I'm getting it off there. Anyway, chapter 4 and chapter 5 are, are grouped together. We're supposed to see them as reflecting one another. So 4, 5, uh, uh, 3, 6, 2, 7. That's right. One is the introduction. And so notice how at the end of chapter uh, um Chapter 4, this hinge verse, kind of reflecting on what was the experience with Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. There's this putting up, as we're seeing, this, this judgment and this pursuit of God to these two kings. And the, the issue that's coming before them is pride and humility. And seeing that as God uh, uh, is, is pursuing and revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar, and he's pursuing and he's revealing himself to Belshazzar, part of what is the, the response is going to be, how do you respond to the revelation that God has given of himself? In terms that Daniel's focusing on here is in the, the language of, of pride and the language of humility. So notice, how will God judge? From this chapter, this is one thing, two things that we'll see. He opposes the proud. God, the supreme judge, opposes the proud. Remember of what we see here of Nebuchadnezzar's response in verse 20 and 21. He recounts this. As he's talking, um, uh, and Daniel relating back to what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of man and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was at the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdoms of mankind and sets over it whom he will. God broke into Nebuchadnezzar's life. He gave this profound revelation of himself as the supreme ruler over all things, humbling Nebuchadnezzar. And what was Nebuchadnezzar's response? God comes to him in his pride, pursues Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar's response is one of responding in humility. 
He responds humbled, acknowledging this revelation of who God is. But notice Belshazzar's response. In verse 22, You, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. This information was before him. He knew, he was aware of God's revelation to Nebuchadnezzar. Yet he failed to humble his heart. You set yourself up, you lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And it tells about him bringing in the vessels of the, of the, the wine that he drank with his concubines. And then he praised these gods of silver and bronze, gold, wood, iron, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and who are all your ways, you have not honored. Come face to face with this revelation of who God is. Belshazzar failed to humble himself before the supreme judge. He sets himself up over against the supreme judge of all things, and God's response is to oppose him. He opposes the proud. He numbered his days. He weighed him and found him wanting, not measuring up to the standards that God had set before him and in response to the revelation. He divided his kingdom, or he divided and separated up his kingdom and gave it to the Medes and Persians, and he died. Belshazzar's opposition and his response to God's revelation of himself was to respond in pride. He rejected and dealt um, in a, a defiling way to God's provision for dealing with man's sin as he sinned against the, the temple and against God himself. And as he responded in rejecting who God was by worshiping gods that don't even exist, wood, stone, iron, metal, gold, he's worshiping them, turning away from the God of the Bible. God is saying that He will oppose the proud who He has revealed Himself to. If you reject and turn from Him, you will suffer eternal judgment and condemnation before God. This is true of everyone. Some might say, well, what about those who don't hear or who don't know? The Bible says that God's revelation of Himself is sufficient. In Romans chapter 1, God says this, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. God says, no one will be without excuse. He has clearly and sufficiently revealed Himself to everyone, everyone, that if we turn from that revelation, if we reject Him as being God, if we set ourselves up as the ruler, if we oppose His rule and His authority in our lives doing what we want to do, if we turn and worship and turn to other gods, God will judge us. If we think that we are good and want to put ourselves in the place of being the judge and the standard bearer, God is saying that you will be judged. To the question of how could a good and just God, a loving God, send good people to hell? The Bible says He doesn't. God will never send a good person to hell because there are no good people. The judgment that God says that we are all sinners, every single one of us are deserving the wrath, the just punishment that the judge of all things, he weighs us and he finds every single one of us wanting. All of us deserve the just punishment of our God. If we continue to stand prideful saying, but I'm good. Nobody's going to interview me. 
I'm going to waltz right in because there's no way God would reject me. Daniel would say, Paul would say, Jesus would say, you better be careful with your pride because the judge of all things opposes the proud and you will be punished. But, notice this, God also exalts the humble. In verse 37, again, of chapter 4, we saw Nebuchadnezzar's response. Nebuchadnezzar, who in response to the revelation of God, of who he was, Nebuchadnezzar's response was he humbled himself before God, acknowledging God to be the King of heaven, honoring, praising, extolling Him. And what did God do? God exalted Nebuchadnezzar. It tells us in verse 36 that His kingdom returned to Him, His majesty, His glory, His more greatness was added to Him. God exalted the humble. Look at Daniel in this passage. In verse 29, Uh, After this, remember, Daniel's response to all of this has been one who is looking to God. He has been throughout this book acknowledging God as the revealer of all things, as the judge of all things, as the creator of all things. Later in uh, in this book, we will see Daniel looking back. Even though he's remained faithful to God in Babylon, he will look back over his people and acknowledge that God was right to send them to exile and he will repent of his sin calling upon the only one who can clear him, who can forgive him, to bring forgiveness to his life. And notice how God responds to the humble. In verse 29, he exalts the humble. Belshazzar gave the command. Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck. And a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel, God here, exalts him. Remember, this is a breaking in of God showing us insight into how He operates in the world. Belshazzar, the, the, the proud one, is opposed and he suffers. Daniel, the humble one, is exalted. And in fact, look at what it says in the end of verse 31. Uh, or the end of, yeah, the end of verse 31. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And what we'll end up seeing over the next chapter is Daniel remains. Daniel is alive. Daniel continues to serve the next kingdom while Belshazzar is wiped away and the entire nation of Babylon is defeated. God will exalt the humble who look and acknowledge their sin and who turn to Him. Uh, God is clear about this through all of the Scriptures. In Romans chapter 3, He says it like this. Um, for, the works, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or declared and made this righteous judgment by the judge, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The way that we humble ourselves before our God is acknowledging our sin, acknowledging our complete inability to deliver and save and redeem ourselves, acknowledging ourselves to be just recipients of uh, worthy recipients of his of his punishment, and acknowledging only in his mercy will he redeem and save us. We will not be accepted because of what we have done. We're humbling ourselves and saying it's only because of what Jesus has done. It's not just Jesus' death that saves you. It's His life. Because you will be forgiven. You will be judged as righteous before God. Not because of your good works. It's because of the perfection of Jesus that has been credited to your account. 
it will not be your righteousness. It will be the righteousness of Christ that God looks upon as He looks on you and He says, you are right. You are judged as good and coming into my kingdom because of what Jesus has done for you. And I'm giving this to you as a gift by my grace as you look in faith to Christ. It will not be because of your works. It will not be because of your righteousness. It will not be because you have some way in yourself worked up humility. It's a gift that comes from God. And those who humble themselves before God, God will exalt. Listen to the beautiful picture of exaltation that awaits the people of God. In Revelation, as we await the return of God, this is what he says of those who have humbled themselves before uh, God, acknowledging Jesus to be the one true King who forgives. In chapter 5 of Revelation, beginning in verse 9, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And your blood, by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We who humble ourselves before God will be exalted. We, the humble, will reign with Jesus on this renewed and restored earth. Because of what we have done? No. Because of what we, He has done. Daniel is speaking to us now. God is speaking to us now and saying, God is the supreme judge. He will judge His enemies. He will judge His people. The proud, He will oppose. The humble, He will exalt. The call from Daniel to us today is humble yourself before the Supreme God. Look to Jesus that you might be forgiven and that you might be exalted because of what He has done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace and for the Gospel that we see in the book of Daniel. We thank You that You provide a way that You would be the both just and the justifier to redeem and save sinners. We pray that this morning You would continue to show us our need of Jesus. That we would continue to hope and rest and rely on Jesus. In the sure confidence of Your promise to us that as we are hoping in Him, we will be declared righteous. Jesus, thank You for suffering for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As the judge of all things was on His way to suffer the punishment that 